Welcome back to the Heartland Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership and the way of Jesus. My name's Clint, and I have two guests with me today, some familiar faces, Dave and Drew. Welcome back. Yeah, good to be here, Clint. Really good to be here. All right, so there's no denying that we are in the midst of political turmoil. There's a lot of division. It's voting season. There's political signs everywhere. And I wanted to have you guys on to just kind of calm us down a little bit. Let's (laughs) think through rationally together what it looks like to vote faithfully as a follower of Jesus. So that's the topic for today. Now, you haven't been prompted with this thought experiment that I want to lay out, but I just want to hear. It's just a helpful way to, I think, posture ourselves for this discussion because it's it's a little bit unclear right away just to say, how should a Christian vote or something like that. So yeah. it's called the uh, thermometer thought experiment. And most of you have been to a fundraiser where there's that big thermometer, right? And whenever money is given, you take that big red marker and you fill in some of that thermometer, right? Uh, and eventually there's a goal. And if you get up to the goal, then whatever, you succeeded in your campaign. So let's say for this election, that you personally have two thermometer big old posters up in your house, one for Trump and one for Biden. Let's just say for, uh, for discussion's sake that the other parties aren't going to make it. So it's just these, these two. No write-in candidates, no Kanye, right. no Green Party, no Libertarian. Right. It just overcomplicates it for now. But We're just stuck with Democrats and Republicans. That's right. And the, the idea is if you can fill up that thermometer then you are now justified or warranted in casting a vote for that person. So we can wonder then with this rubric, what would it take for a person to, one of those candidates to do something where then I pull out my red marker and fill in that thermometer? Or imagine in this thought experiment too that this special permanent marker also has an eraser on the end. And if they do something crappy, then you can take away points in that thermometer. So the huge question, maybe a way to frame, frame this for us is, uh, when should I take out my red marker and fill in the thermometer for a candidate? And crucially, and this is the million dollar question, how much should I fill in based on the thing that they did? Is that helpful? <laughs> well, it's helpful. I don't know how, how much fun it's going to be, oh. but it's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you might you look think, like you um, have a question. You have a question? I mean... Are you just, you want us to think about this or do you want us to talk about it at some point? I want that to be like, we can kind of use that language I gotcha. as okay. we discuss some of these issues. So gotcha. for instance, here's what this could look like. And you would like our listeners to also be thinking about this. Yeah, on this. I, I'm yeah. with you, Clint. So let's say for, for example, that you happen to support pro-life policies hmm. and a particular candidate in your estimation, mm-hmm. um, best exhibits the policies that you think are good on the pro-life side. So you might wonder, well, how much of my thermometer should I really fill up with my red marker based on that stance? Am I warranted in going all the way? That's kind of your single issue voter. They just, they do the little fill paint can on Microsoft Word. (laughs) It all goes through. I can't vote for anyone that doesn't hold that. They have the bumper sticker on their car that says, I vote pro-life. Sure. And that's it, right? Okay, gotcha. I know that person. So that's kind of like the rubric I'd like to use going forward, so you can kind of use that language if you so choose. But I thought the audience might find that somewhat helpful as they 
here candidates say different things. You might wonder, um, how am I filling in my thermometer? And am I being irrational when uh, someone does something I don't like, a candidate? Am I doing a double negative where I erase part of their thermometer and I add some in on the other one? Mm -hmm. uh, double jeopardy. Don't do that. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so that's just kind of the framework for it. But Dave, I wanna, I'm curious from your perspective, you've been around the block a few times, more than myself or Drew. That's a kind way of saying <laughs> I'm much older than both of you and have voted more often. How have you seen politics affect the church in the past? So here we are in this current political season. It seems like every election is like, it's the most important one ever. Right, I hear um, that a lot. This is the most important election of our lifetime. I think I've heard that at least for the last four elections. So that'd be probably the last 16 years. Mm -hmm. And it seems as though politics is becoming more of a lightning rod in the church than it's ever been. I don't remember it being such a huge deal like it is today or it has been even in the last election. I just don't remember that from when I was growing up, but also you know, even as a, a young man who was voting um, or pastoring in the church, I just did not sense the type of um, oh, conflict that happens and, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ writing each other off you know, and, and because of their political affiliation. Like, that's become, uh, in some ways, such a, a, like a god to some people. Like, the most important issue that they deal with. So, yeah, it's, it's become a lot, in my opinion, a lot worse in recent years. It, why is that? Is there anything unique going on in society or culture that you think has led to that? Or what do you attribute that to in your experience? I would probably have to leave that for somebody much smarter than me. I think we've become um, more... Uh, angry with one another, uh, shorter-tempered, not um, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, just as human beings frustrated with each other more and more. Um, and it spills into our politics. That seems like that's the place where that happens. I mean, it happens on the road as you're driving and those kind of things too, but it really happens in the political arena, mm -hmm. it seems like. Why? Well, that's, that's a great question. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. So... I mean, and we could wonder all day long about the historical, cultural moments that have led up to the point we are now, but all that being said, really interesting probably to think about, but at least now, here I am, we're listening to this, moving forward, how should a devoted Jesus follower be voting? Or to use our little illustration, how much of my thermometer should I fill in based on these different issues and things that candidates are say, saying What's my driving motivation as a Jesus follower who ha also happens to be able to vote? Yeah, I think where I would start with that is, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but as a follower of Jesus, my driving motivation for how I live every day probably should not be all that different from my driving motivation for how I vote. At least that would be my conviction. And, and here's why I would say that. Uh, and I am not like a government expert or a democracy expert, but I feel that there is a sense in which government, political process, it's designed in its best to serve people. 
to to be for the flourishing of a nation or a community or a, a group of individuals who in some way have bound themselves together. And so every day as a follower of Jesus, following the great commandment to love God, to love my neighbor, I should be concerned with the well-being of those who make up the community or the nation or the city that I belong to. And, and so I would just suggest that our voting shouldn't be so different from that. Um, it, this shouldn't be the only way, as I vote, that I'm seeking the good of my country. I should be seeking the good the rest of the four-year cycle. Mm. And so I just would start there and say, I think if you're dividing your, your voting motivation from your living and loving motivation, you may want to ask yourself, why is that? Um, and maybe there is a good reason that I'm not articulating well, but that's a place I would at least start. That's good. Are you saying just to, I hear you saying maybe that your motivation is to like faithfully represent Jesus or to further the kingdom of God? What is it that? Sure. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is you, you could say that to faithfully represent Jesus. I also think as a citizen of the United States of America, I should be concerned about the good, the general good of the United States of America and my fellow citizens on voting day and on every other day. Mm. So I, I do think you could take a Christian angle and say, and there's a special way that my allegiance to Jesus colors the way I seek to seek the good of those I'm in community with and relationship with. Uh, but I also just think in general, like that's part of why you are together with these folks as a nation under this government. Um, so I'm, I'm just trying to stress again that sometimes, and this is like a newer thing for me personally, like really thinking about some of these issues, uh, sometimes the voting conversation can feel so much more complex mm -hmm. than the everyday living. How do I pursue the best for my neighbor? How do I be the best neighbor possible, the best uh, friend, the best coworker? And I'm coming around to a place where at least for me I feel like uh, those things shouldn't be so far apart. My voting should be coming out of some of those same convictions that drive the way I neighbor, the way that I love. So I haven't given you a super constructive answer for the follower of Jesus. Uh, I'd be willing to take a shot at that, but I'm more just saying, yeah. uh, for me, that's been a helpful thing to realize, in particular over this last two or three years, mm -hmm. there should be some congruence between the way I'm seeking that good daily and at the ballot box. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and as you read, I think, Scripture, from, coming from your perspective, I, you know, Romans 13 talks a little bit about how the authorities have been put in place, have been put in place by God for our good. So what does that mean? And how did Paul write that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in a time when the emperors and the authorities that were in place were actually the people putting him in prison, killing and torturing, you know, Christians, and yet he wrote these words to followers of Christ in the day. Uh, you also read throughout Scripture that as representatives, you're supposed to be representing the, the people for their good. Um, so how does that work as a Christian when you walk into the voting booth um, to vote? H how do you, how does that color what you're going to choose? And then here's another question, like, how could you and I both understand the Scripture, love the Scripture, and yet we potentially could vote differently? Right. Right? Totally. I mean, there's not one way... No, that's, that's probably going to happen. Right. There's not one Christian way to vote. But I think, I think for some people, there is only one right answer. You what know? makes you say that? What, um, what about the creeds, let's say, of 
Christianity allows that much latitude between the two political parties as they are well, constituted th- now. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what, something that was real helpful for me was when someone said, you just have to realize that unfortunately the system that you have in America is set up for failure. <laughs> like you, only, you have binary, you have two choices and you have two bad choices. You don't, you know, it's not like you're going to find somebody that fits every angle you want. So now we just elevate that one platform to the ultimate, like you were saying earlier. And so we're going to vote pro-life or we're going to vote, you know, whatever your, your deal is. When I came to realize that I'm basically voting between two not great choices and I need to pick the one that I feel in my heart of hearts is the least worst, that, that took off a lot of pressure for me. And, and quite frankly, I just don't think politics is the answer for everything. You know, I don't put that kind of pressure on politics. I don't see that this is the most important election of all time because there's going to be another one in two years and then another one two years after that. Mm -hmm. So when I walk into the voting booth, I just have, like, honestly, I have Micah 6-8 from the Old Testament in mind. You know, what does it mean to vote for a candidate who pursues justice, who loves mercy, and who walks humbly? And probably that third one for me, that humility one, is the most important one. And that in my opinion, um, disqualifies a lot of people. Because I don't want someone who comes across like they know it all. To me, I've always been taught, beware of the person who comes across like they know it all. And yet, this is how we run our political campaigns in our country. It's like they, they think that the path to victory, and it probably is in our worldly system, is to come across like, I've got all the answers, I know it all. I'm looking for the exact opposite angle. I'm looking for a candidate who admits and knows that they don't have all the answers. That's the candidate. I'm still looking for that candidate. And Dave, I love what you said there. I was talking to you, Clint, a couple months ago, and I think one of the things I've realized is uh, because of how our political system is set up, it kind of forces our politicians to play that game. And so we were talking about how, like, just to use again, let's talk more about the two major candidates this time around. I have no clue what it would be like to sit at dinner with Joe Biden or with Donald Trump. I don't get the sense that what I'm seeing in the debates or in the ads or in their public appearances necessarily is really allowing me to experience who they are as a person. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that gives them a free pass to be whoever they need to be to get the vote. But to your point about that humility, that's not really what they're being invited to showcase, in my opinion, either. And I I think that makes it really hard to get a sense for what is the character of these men and women running for public office. So I hear you saying, Dave, and if I could just push a little bit on Yeah, push, push uh, away. (laughs) That um, the moral character of the candidate is of a higher, you put a higher premium on that, let's say. So when when a candidate would do something publicly to betray uh, some kind of vice or character flaw, uh, you're either going to take out your eraser or add some marks in. Now, just to complicate it a, a slight bit from where we started, um, open it up to other candidates too. Maybe because w- genuinely, you can go in there and there are no ballots across the nation that have two, just two presidential options. And what if it turns out that one of the other parties, or even why not write in one of your mentors that you mm-hmm. that you think has the the greatest moral character that you could imagine? And I think one, uh, I think what's happening there is that you also have perhaps this other precept that you're carrying that you would like your vote to be effective or efficacious to matter. You want it to make a difference and maybe to vote for, I don't know, Mother Teresa, if she were an option, would um, 
would be wasting one's vote, that I wasn't really participating in uh, voting for a candidate that's likely to win. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy that argument at all. I'm going to okay. vote for the candidate. I'm going to vote for the candidate that um, is, you know, in my heart, what I would say the Lord puts on my heart, Spirit puts on my heart. Certainly their moral, moral character plays a part in that, but also their policies. You know, I look at the policies, and, and quite frankly, most of the guys and, and women end up disqualifying themselves in my mind because of their, their moral character. So mm -hmm. then I start looking at policies yeah. and the policies that most align with the things that I value. Um, and then to your point of the thermometer, there's usually one that's a little more than the other. And even though I may not fall in, really like that candidate, that's probably the one that I end up voting for. Um, although in the past I have voted for a third party. Um, and I don't think twice about throwing away my vote, you know, because that's the, that's the party that most aligned with my values. And, and I think, in my opinion, how Christ would, would most vote. And so that's what I'm trying to constantly do is to filter through yeah. if Jesus were in my body, which he is through his Holy Spirit, and, I, and he was walking into this voting booth, how would he be thinking through these things and which, mm. which one would he press? You know, which button yeah, would great. he press? Yeah, I, I like what you're saying there. I, I like the word stewardship. Like, I, I like that concept in general, but stewarding my vote. And it may be that in one particular election, stewarding my vote, I say, there's two candidates here that I don't love but I think good stewardship of my vote is voting for the, the lesser of two evils. Or maybe there's an election down the road or, or this election even where I say this candidate is such a sterling example of what I think we want in this office and I'm gonna steward my vote in that way. But I agree with Dave, like uh, I don't view it as throwing away a vote either if I chose to not vote for one of the two major party candidates because maybe the stewardship I wanna practice that time is actually saying I'm gonna call us as a democracy in my voice, I mean, that's all I've got in my one vote, towards something that's a little different than this binary and these two options that I've been given. And, um, you know, I know there's so much written on, is that throwing away your vote or not? I can't solve that. Can't say I'm all well-versed in that. <laughs> but um, I also feel like it's a matter of integrity for me, and I right. want to feel good about that stewardship. And so I'm totally aware that I'm going to upset right. someone if I throw away my vote. But it may be that in my conscience in that situation, that's what I think good stewardship looks like. It, you know, just two things there. One, there's been a past for Melody and I, my wife and I, where we've talked about it because we always talk about it beforehand. She doesn't tell me how to vote. I don't tell her how to vote, but we do come to a place. And I remember past years where she was going in to vote one way and I was voting a different way. Now, we could have said, well, why do we even go then? Let's just, that's a waste of time. Let's, let's not even go, right? I mean, to your point, let's not even go. But we went. Why did we go? Because I think we have to back up and we have to realize, like, voting is this amazing privilege that we have, you know, that men and women have fought for, that in our democracy, we have this, this vote that really counts, which is amazing if you think about it. Now, when I say that out of one side of my mouth, on the other side of my mouth, and I never thought I'd say this years ago, but I actually see advantages to um, a monarchy, to if, if a nation had a benevolent king who want, or queen, you know, who wanted what's best for the people and was in there for a, 
100 years, let's say, or 50 years. This is the plot of Plato's Republic. I mean, this would be the an, philosopher king. I mean, this would yeah. be an unbelievable advantage. I think of King David back in the Bible and how he, you know, I mean, what an incredible thing it would be to have your leader out in front of the army and yet dying for his, giving his life for his people and every, like, I just think of that and I go, wow, there's better, there's better systems out there than our American democracy. And, and I know that's going to, some people are going to go, what? Like, no, we, we haven't arrived. Like, this isn't the ultimate answer, right? So what would that look like? I have lots of dreams and thoughts about that. So me as a Christian functioning in this, what I would say, broken, imperfect system, I'm just going to take my best and take the pressure off. You know, It's not going to change the world, and it's probably the most important thing I can do that day. Both of those things are true. Mm. And I think we have a difficult time holding, holding things like that together at times. That's really good. Did you want to add to that? No, I think, I think that's good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you kept going for a while. So I, I kept go, going and he lost his thought. It's good. By the way, I like your shirt, Drew. It's a Thank you. Just a <laughs> breath of tropics in yeah, this For those li- listening and not viewing, he has a beautiful shirt on with uh, yeah, all kind of tropical things on it. And I like it a lot, Drew. It's a good little... Yeah, just catch our breath. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) After we just declared monarchy, it might be better. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of a big (laughs) statement, wasn't it? Like, probably people out there saying, well, why doesn't he move to England then? And I've thought about it. I really have. have a figurehead, really. (laughs) Okay, Um, that's a whole other topic. But, yeah, so I guess I want to come back to, though, this idea. I'm, I'm really trying to get at or figure out how a follower of Jesus ought to be voting. And I kind of wonder... Would a follower of Jesus vote differently from a non-follower or go about the process in any different way? Uh, so I'll, I'll chime in here and fully aware that not everyone's going to agree with this, and that's okay. Um, I think that one of my concerns as a follower of Jesus, and it doesn't necessarily pop up to the same degree in every election, is I am concerned about the reputation of Jesus and his church in mm. our nation. And so... Um, We've talked a little bit about this, Clint. This is just my take. Uh, if, if a candidate in any party decides to say something that aligns them with Jesus Christ, uh, maybe it's just a genuine outpouring of what matters to them. Maybe it is a little bit of a political device because it's going to, you know, there are folks who are going to say, yes, he likes Jesus too. I'm voting for him or her. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a little bit of both, you know. Um, I then become pretty concerned about what do they then say about Jesus, about their convictions that flow from the scripture, uh, what do they say about the church? And actually, uh, in what some... What do you mean about the church? Uh, um, so... Like what it is? Like their ecclesiology? Uh, I'll give you... you a, no, I guess this is more what I mean. Um, so when someone often will take a stance that says, I follow Jesus, that's important to me, uh, a lot of times another topic that will come up is religious liberty. Hmm. So here's tipping my hand here a little bit, but I don't want to hear just about religious liberty for Christians, even though I'm a Christian, because I think my Christian convictions call for me to respect religious liberty for people of all faiths. And so if I hear that someone has said, I'm big on the Christian thing, but in their remarks is disparaging towards other religions or um, tips their hand toward policies that will benefit Christians maybe more than other religions, that actually is problematic for me. It might benefit me in my expression of faith, but now they've claimed some level of their convictions coming out of their Christian faith. And so I, I do personally concern myself with how is the character of Jesus being portrayed by the way this candidate 
articulates the way their faith informs their platform. So, so let me just briefly close. And, by and just to um, yeah, just to tease that out a little bit more, is the worry that uh, someone not in the fold or something, um, someone that's not a follower of Jesus, would then it would, they would, it would be less likely that they would one day become a follower based on association, like well, with that candidate. Yes. So I was talking to a, a colleague in ministry recently. Hadn't talked with them in a long time. I said, "How how are you doing? It's been a couple years." And um, they actually shared that their spouse has really struggled with their faith since the 2016 election, Hmm. uh, specifically because of how the followers of Jesus that they were around in their community uh, responded in light of the 2016 election, Hmm. words they said, um, ways they treated others. And and it actually has become a really hard thing for this couple Hmm. because one of them, both committed followers of Jesus finds it really hard now uh, to look at their faith in the same way. And so that's an example of someone already within the church. But yeah, I'm concerned that people will miss Christ if Christ is misrepresented in the spirit of political engagement and appealing to a base. So that's a concern that I bring in because I'm a follower of Jesus. Interesting, yeah. Well, it kind of sounds like um, going with that reasoning I don't know. It might be in a candidate's interest to not reveal their yeah, affiliation mean, because it might. Because for Drew, that's raising the bar. You're holding them to a higher yeah. standard now than you would have this otherwise. This is a total misapplication of the scriptural principle. But there's that idea of uh, not many of you, brothers and sisters Christians, should want to be teachers because you will be judged more severely. Mm. Now, I get it. It's not talking about presidential candidates, but there is a sense that yes, if you are going to bring your faith into the public sphere uh, as a big talking point, as part of your appeal, um, I'm concerned about how you represent Jesus, and I hope you represent him faithfully. And I can say I'm actually more in support of this candidate because how much I see the values of the kingdom of God in them. Mm. Uh, but it's, it goes both ways. Yeah, and there's times when the, it just makes me so frustrated when someone wears their faith like outwardly so heavily, and they say, like, I'll just give you an example. This is a lightning rod example, but you know, the big pro-life candidate. And what they mean by pro-life is the unborn, yeah. but they don't want to talk about the death penalty. That's right. They don't want to talk about immigrants who are, you know, coming, who, who aren't experiencing real life because we won't allow them into yep. our country. They don't want to talk, all these other issues. They just have this one issue that they mean, and then, and, but they're Christian, and so we should vote for That's them. Right. It's like, well, wait a minute, like, no, you're missing you're missing the entire platform. And and boy, that's just frustrating. And one thing that I love about, um, like honestly talking to you guys in the past about some of these things, and I'm I'm not saying this because I work with you or I want you to look good for this podcast. But but, please do, because we could use some of that. You guys see these things as complex, and they're complex. It's nuanced, it's Um, complex, absolutely. Like honestly, if you're you're listening to this, and for you it's not complex, and you want to know why I think it's complex, I'd love to talk to you about that. Even yeah. on the issue of what does it truly mean to be pro-life. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, and that's not bad to say it's complex, mm-hmm. but it means that that issue of stewardship or how do we think about this becomes an issue that's probably going to take some time. Yeah, and so even to that point, like back what I was saying before, I would love a candidate who just genuinely listens and admits that they don't have all the answers and wants to get as much input as possible get some wise input, and then make a decision, right? 
And whether it's a right or wrong decision, if they've um, saturated that in lots of wise counsel and prayer and they make that decision, I'm, I'm with them, I'm behind them, because I understand as a leader how difficult it is to make decisions. I would not want the job of president yeah. of the United States. It's a very, very demanding and difficult job, and you're wrong no matter what, right? Yeah. And we felt a little bit of that even during the COVID, no matter what decision we make. Yes, well, it's the, a hallmark of leadership. I mean, it's, it's the wrong decision, right? And so imagine that you're the president of the United States, yep. and no matter what decision you make, you decide to go to the bathroom at 8 o'clock, wrong decision. You decide to whatever. It's like, wow, right? Yeah. difficult. You, you know, you mentioned, Clint, like that thermometer example. So I brought up if someone uh, expresses that they're a follower of Jesus, I hold them to a little higher standard. But there's other values as a follower of Jesus that I do factor into that thermometer. So honesty is really important to me. Um, mm -hmm. So I struggle with a candidate, regardless of what the policy is, who shows either a willingness to go back on things they stated clearly. I understand changing your mind. I've had to change my mind. I've had to say I was wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. But deliberately misrepresenting facts or um, going back and, and saying, I never said that when we have on record that, yes, you've, you've said that. Um, for me, regardless of what party they belong to, I would like my candidate to be someone who keeps their word. They would have more credibility for you if they actually did acknowledge that they said it and now they're changing oh, their yeah. mind. Right, right. I mean, that, I, that's not a, I don't know if honesty is a policy, but mm -hmm. in Drew's economic voting. Sometimes my parents say honesty is the best policy. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, so for me, like, that is something where if I see someone repeatedly showing a little bit of willingness to bend the truth, I'm going to erase a little bit there. Yeah, but let's keep it real. I mean, in our political system, it's all about money, and it's all about people wanting their sure. way, and it's all about, you know, if I just throw more money at this, I'll get that candidate to say what I want them so, to say. It's, so, it's so sad. I'm, I am okay with the reality that the standards, I don't know if I'm okay with it. I have accepted the reality that some of the standards I want to hold our public servants to they're not going to meet. Okay, now you just said something that's so key. And I mentioned it a little bit before, but that's what they are, public servants. And I, I, I'm looking for a candidate who understands that. Mm -hmm. They're here to serve the people, not their own agenda, not some lobbyist's agenda. They're here to serve the people, us. So what, and what does that mean? What is their base? How are they going to represent them? You know, if I can find candidates like that, those are the candidates I'm voting for. So Here, can I push back on you, Drew, just a little bit with the honesty piece? So yeah. of course, like there's no question that that like is a a virtuous trait yeah. to have is yep. being an honest person. But well, there is some people who would question that. Some people might not agree with that. Getting back to your point about what's the difference between a Christian voter and a non-Christian, but there might be some people who go, I don't care about honesty. I want to win no matter what. Yeah, that's I suppose. the goal. Yeah, so fair enough. I'll just there push are, back yeah, a little I, on I that. Totally there's, think there's, there's competing that. ethics out right. there for yeah, sure. Yeah, what, what were you going to say? Um, Sorry. I, one issue I have is it, it just sounds like if that's the decision procedure, it sounds exhausting just in the sense that I think both of these knuckleheads at some point have misrepresented oh. things. And so, like, am I in the business of nickel and diming on my thermometer? Like, well, er, er, said that and wait, well, and I'm no, no, fact no. checking. So let me, let, me, let me maybe say it this way. Uh, one, I do find it exhausting, so that's fair. Um, but two, once someone has shown a track record of dishonesty, I'm not going to keep, hmm. you know, auditing. I'm not looking for these that's guys to word. trip yeah. up. I'm, I'm going to pay attention if there's something really key, like, oh, this is the, the policy they just said they support. Well, I want to go research that policy. But once you've shown yourself to be dishonest over time, it's not news to me. And I'm not saying this is the issue, 
I'm just saying it is one more thing that I use yeah. to fill in or erase a little bit. I mean, wouldn't you say like that first debate between Biden and Trump kind of epitomized everything about what's wrong with our country? Yeah. Two grown men who could not listen to one another, who talked <laughs> over one another, who argued with one. I thought they honestly were going to get in a fist fight uh, at one point, didn't you? And I, I thought, this is it. This is our country. Everybody's angry at each other. Nobody has yeah. respect for one another anymore. And to your, to your point about honesty, I was sitting with someone who astutely just said, wait, based on what those two just said, someone's lying. Yeah, right, Both of those right. things can't right. be true. Right. Um, yeah. And that's hard like, when that's how it is. But, but you know, yeah. you ever hear this? I don't know if you guys have heard this, but there was an old saying back when I was younger. We get the candidate we deserve. Yes. It's such a good little, like we do. Yes. We get the candidate as a, as a nation, we get the candidate that we deserve. And uh, man, that's a sad state of affairs. Can you say more about affairs. that? How, how oh, does man. that work? <laughs> well, that's, oh. good. that's good. You know, uh, can I say more about I'll say that? say more about okay, it. Okay, jump in. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump your metaphor. How about this? How about you get the leader you deserve? Okay. So let me, so I was listening to a, a podcast recently with a guy named Oz Guinness. Oz Guinness is not a young man. Yeah. Uh, he's originally, Wasn't he the guy who played Obi-Wan Kenobi? No, oh. you're going to have to pick that up. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> so he's, he's, from, he's from the United Kingdom originally, came over to the U.S. for the first time in like 1968, wrote a book about what he saw as a decline in our society. Yeah. And Oz Guinness uh, was talking about how he's committed to the evangelical church. Now, I know that doesn't mean something to everyone who's listening right now, but um, the evangelical church... Well, if you want to know about it, you're going to have to look it up. But we would broadly be considered, I'm going to just say. Believe I, in the authority of Scripture. Yep, believe. Committed to the mission of, of reaching the lost. Yeah, the there's resurrection four, There's of four Christ. kind of key things. Yep. But, but he's committed. He thinks that word still matters. It's not uh -huh. just a political voting block, the evangelicals. He likes it. And he said the evangelical church is really weak. Here's what he was getting at. We have had over the past 20 years in the evangelical church, especially the past like five years, so many high profile pastors coming out with deep either corruption under their leadership or um, failure of character. And I'm yeah. not talking, oh, you know, I, I said a rude word to my wife and I didn't apologize. No, I'm talking serious things. And at the same time, who are the pastors that have been put on pedestals hmm. over the past 20 years? And increasingly, it's those who can motivate a massive crowd, those who can get a huge budget, those who can build the incredible building. And, and, and to be frank— Those who have the best tennis shoes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the Preachers and Sneakers Instagram account. You look a certain way. And to be frank, being able to hit those measurements, big crowd, big building, big budget, don't correspond— to biblically what the call for a pastor yeah, is. The inner life and right. But that's yeah. who churches have to some, the yeah. Christians have to some degree wanted. And so I think it's a great example. Of so therefore when they fail is what you're saying, it shouldn't surprise us because we've put them there. Yeah, we've said yeah. we value these things. Yes. And, and so I think that's one look of the same thing that we see happening. Uh, that's a really good example. I think it's good. Oh. No, I like that yeah. answer. So. Just coming back to something you said earlier, Dave, about making politics an idol mm. and dovetailing that with what we were just talking about with how complex it can be to make a decision. Um, I just wonder how you would distinguish what's the difference between someone who earnestly cares about making a faithful vote unto Jesus and accordingly does a Herculean amount of research and fact checking and going back and seeing who's been honest versus someone who has made it an idol. Because on the outside, 
you might even think that they look pretty similar in what they're doing. Like he spends a lot of time looking at uh, sure. political podcasts and researching and looking up articles and watching all the debates and, do -do -do and doing all the stuff. But here's on the other side, someone doing the exact same thing, but is trying to be a faithful, conscientious voter. Can you just speak more to what it means to make politics an idol? And it might be that it's your motivation. You know, it might be that it's what's driving you. Like it, it, it is your. For instance, like my idol is is Christ. Every day I try to get up and think about what Jesus wants me to do today. Right, like and. That doesn't happen all the time, but that's my goal. And I think some people, if you wake up and, and all you ever think about is politics, it's taken the place of what I would say should be the most important thing in your life, and that's your relationship with God. And you live or die on whatever CNN or Fox News is, is broadcasting that day, right? And it's just amazing to me to watch how, how um, that affects people at such a deep level. So I think, yeah, I think you can approach, if your motivation is true, that you want to make a, a valuable, good decision, out of discernment, your research, awesome, like way to go, you should do that. Um, but if that's the thing that's driving you and motivating you and you're putting your hope in that, like that's going to be the answer to all the world's problems, I mean, it's just false. I mean, that's, that's the idle part of it. Because the only answer to our world's problems is a relationship with Christ, is a true theocracy that someday we will be a part of, in my belief, when Jesus Christ is on the throne in his fully realized kingdom. Until that day, all the systems are broken and we're just doing the best we can. Yeah, I, um, I agree with you. I think maybe this hasn't been something you've bumped into if you're listening to this, but I, I was reading a uh, chapter last night in a book about this thing and the same concept, you know, making, making politics an idol or maybe even making a particular nation an idol. And this chapter showed both Democrat and Republican presidential candidates who then won and took the office and used very intentional um, language about America as the last great hope of the world. <laughs> and listen, I love America. I'm glad I live here. So when I say what I'm about to say, like, you don't have to email me and say, why don't you go live somewhere else? Like, <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. Uh, but America is not the last great hope of the world. Right. When you read the scriptures, it's not that America is this uh, necessary component of the eschatological reign of Christ. Like, our hope is Jesus. And, and if you were to say to a follower of Jesus living in Asia, America is the last great hope for the world, and that's something I say as a Christian, they look at you like you're crazy. No, it is not. And, and, but it's, such, but it's such an arrogant thing to say, too. Yeah. And then we wonder why we elect arrogant leaders. Well, because that's, in, our, in a sense, that's who we've become as a country. And again, I'm not saying this is every person who's listening to this, but there are Christians who tie those things together oh, yeah. very intentionally. And if, if you don't believe me, reach out. I can show you some examples. And, and that's something I feel as a follower of Jesus we need to be really clear about. Uh, because we don't need to sully the reputation of Christ to make us feel better about our nation. We can still seek the good of our nation. We can still be proud to be Americans. Um, one more little thing on this about making an idol. One way I see that playing out, um, Clint, you, you were preaching at Heartland Williams just a week ago, and you mm -hmm. talked about light. Where do you shine a light with your words and your life? 
if you're captivated with Jesus, and like I'm saying this to myself right now, yeah. if you're really captivated with Jesus, you're going to talk about Jesus. And I don't mean you're going to go explain to everyone on the street, this is how you get saved. No, you're going to talk about how Jesus is transforming you. You're going to talk about the things that he cares about, that he talked about. Um, you're going to be about the work that he was about. If, if as you look at your life and you kind of take that audit, what do I say? What do I post on social media? Uh, what's my energy given to? And a lot of it is getting this candidate into office. You at least need to beg the question, um, am I shining my light a little bit too much in this direction? Um, am I shining my light in this direction because I can tie it to how I'm pursuing the work Christ is doing? And, and maybe you can. But we need to ask ourselves about that because we can fall into that. I can fall into that trap of shining my light on something else. Here's a thought experiment for us. What would happen if everyone who called themselves a Christian in our country wrote in the name Jesus? Like, in, in all honesty, what would happen? I mean, there are people named that today, and it'd be a bit <laughs> ambiguous. Right, but I, you, know, you know what I'm Jesus Yeah, but you know thing. what I'm getting yeah. at. Like, what if Jesus really won the election? And yet, isn't that the kind of candidate we should be looking for? The one who represents Jesus the most. I don't know who that is, but that's up to us to figure out on our little thermometer, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, any guidance for our audience, um, most of which are members of our congregation, but there are others that are listening around the nation. Mm. So what, what do we do? Like, I just don't know how to fill in this thermometer. I don't know how to wait. Like, here's pro-life, and then here's economy, foreign policy, a peace deal with Israel, a BLM movement. Like, how they just seem like incommensurate goods, like apples and bananas. I can't compare them, really. Like, how, how could I possibly fill in my thermometer at all. I just don't know how much to fill in. Which one matters most? What should I be thinking about most when I go to vote? That's the, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, that's the beauty of our country is that uh, the, those things matter differently to all different people and in different Christians as well. And that's the beauty of a democracy is that not one size fits all. There are apples and oranges. And what I would say is like pray let the Holy Spirit lead you and go make the best decision that you feel God calling you to do. And I know that might be oversimplified, but man, I, I think that's the beauty of our nation. I, I think that, and then what I would add to it is, uh, it, it's helpful to remember that the whole thing of like, you can talk about anything about politics or religion, like that's not always the most helpful. Um, so for your fellow brothers and sisters in the family of God, I think it would be really healthy if we could get to a place where we could go and talk about, hmm. what are you thinking voting this, this November? And, and, and not have our friendship be on the table with right. something that might be cut off. Like, no, like, truly, as a, as a faithful follower of Jesus, we might see this differently. I probably need to hear from you. Um, it, it is a little thing, like, it's interesting to look at the stats of how many white evangelicals percentage-wise voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and how many black evangelicals in 2016 voted for Hillary Clinton. Not saying it would change things or it should, but it would be great 
to be able to talk to someone who's not voting for the same candidate as you and say, oh wow, like those are some good things that you see in the opposing candidate that is coming out of your commitment to Jesus, and hopefully I can articulate some good things that my candidate represents and is standing for. And, and humbly learn from one another. Yes. Instead of holding on to your position so much, or if somebody makes yes. you angry leaving their church, or whatever it, it might be. And guess what? Now next week, after we finish voting, rather than being like, you voted this way, I voted this way, we gotta work that out. No, hopefully we're going together to work on bringing yeah. the values of the kingdom of God into Medina. Yeah, and because I, that can bring us together. And I think so often fear is what is, is motivating people. Like I've heard so many, oh, there's going to be a civil war next Tuesday, you know, or whatever is going to happen. What about if love was motivating us? Like what if, what if love for our brothers and sisters was motivating us when we stepped into that booth. Like, how would that make a difference rather than us operating out of fear? I, I just, I don't know, talk about thought experiments. I have all these thoughts. I don't have the answers, but I have a lot of thoughts. Any closing remarks you'd want to make? I, I just would say briefly, like, it would be, it, if you're going to dig into this work, if you're going to have these conversations, if you're going to wrestle with it, um, like, it's okay that someone's going to disagree with you. It's also okay that someone's probably going to get upset with you, but these are huge opportunities for you to show the way that your faithfulness to Jesus, your citizenship in the kingdom of God is the most important thing. Um, that doesn't mean that you failed in your venture, that someone disagreed with you or said you're wrong or said I'm upset with you, uh, but you are responsible for how you conduct yourself in those conversations and in that part of your life. We have a couple of people who hold public office that attend our church. And I would just like to say thank you, mm -hmm. because I know uh, they're trying to do the, their job the way Jesus would do their job. I know for a fact they are. And it's amazing to me um, how difficult their job is. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very grateful for men and women who step into that political arena and try to do the best they can. And uh, just thank you. Thank you and, for that. And pray for them. Oh, absolutely. And, I was add and, that. and yeah, next week, yeah. whether your candidate of choice wins or not, start praying because we know that that job is tough. That's right. And, and one more little nugget of that. Offer them some grace. Yes. You know? <laughs> uh, I was going to say the opposite. Like yeah. you would yeah, want yeah. to be offered. Well, pray for them. Offer them some grace. And especially if your candidate wins, uh, also stand up for your Christian convictions in the areas where maybe they aren't um, pursuing those things. Like, it is okay to hold your candidate accountable and say, I love these things that you do, and I want to call you to a higher or a more Christ-like standard in this. That you, you can live in that tension because we're not perfect. Uh, I don't know. And if your candidate wins or loses, be kind. Yes. You know, instead of being arrogant and trying to rub it in people's faces or steal their political signs from their yard, like, act like a follower of Christ would act. Well, that's really good. Thanks so much, guys. I know it's a tough one to dig in, and there's a lot of different nooks and crannies we could explore for the next few hours, but time is of the essence. So thanks so much for watching this episode or listening to the Heartland Leadership Podcast. What would really help us out is to share on social media, and even better, leave a little rating review on your favorite podcatcher. That goes a long way for us to bump up the charts and just get it in front of more eyeballs and ears. So thanks again. We'll see you.